Greetings, Ghost Family. Sam here. You know, I was just looking at my calendar, and I realized it's exactly one year to the day that we launched Season 3 of Family Ghosts. Which means that I am, as usual, embarrassingly late in getting you an update on the new season of our show. As those of you who've been listening for a long time are well aware, extended delays are sort of a cornerstone of the house here at Family Ghosts. But that is all about to change. I am coming to your headphones today to let you know that Family Ghosts is returning with our fourth season on January 14th. And when we do, we're going to try something new. Instead of coming out in seasonal batches, we're going to bring you Family Ghosts episodes throughout 2021. The show will be released on a regular schedule without breaks, so there won't be any more waiting and wondering about when or if there's going to be a new season. And there's more good news. This episode, the one you're listening to right now, is part of a series of four special bonus episodes that we'll be releasing all through December with more exciting announcements to share with you in each of them. Every week, I will bring you a little bit more information about the new season, plus updates on some other goings-on here at WALT, including our first Family Ghosts spinoff, about which I can't say anything more just yet. So, I hope you'll stay tuned all month long, and I can't wait for you to hear the new stories I've been working on for you when Season 4 launches in January. Now, lest you think I would dare call this a bonus episode and then just give you a bunch of logistical updates. Today, I'm excited to share a story by one of my heroes. And my brother always does this joke with me. He's the worst. He always does this. He always goes, um, hey, Ophira, just want to remind you, uh, nobody wanted you. You were a mistake. And then I I mentioned that to my mom, and she was like, don't be ridiculous, you all were mistakes, so. That's NPR's Ophira Eisenberg, right here on Family Ghosts, after the break. When I started venturing out to live storytelling shows here in New York City a few years ago, I encountered a variety of artists who were pioneers of the art form. A particular hush would fall over the room when they stepped to the microphone, and everyone would lean forward in their chairs a little bit. One of those people was Ophira Eisenberg. Ophira is someone whose voice you probably recognize. She's the host of NPR's quiz show, Ask Me Another. She's also a staple on the Moth Radio Hour. And in addition to telling her own stories, Ophira is a recurring host of Moth Open Mic Story Slams. As you might imagine, at an event where literally anyone can show up and tell a story to a captive audience for six minutes, Moth Slams are a real mixed bag. You might hear anything from a heartfelt, painstakingly crafted treatise on losing a grandparent to a wannabe comedian giving a half-assed retelling of a Vegas bachelor party to, and this is a real thing that I witnessed, a drunk mailman pulling out his cell phone and calling his sister live on stage to ask her why she doesn't talk to him anymore. 
which sounds awkward, but was actually weirdly tender and compelling. Needless to say, being the host at one of these events is no easy feat. Unless you're Ophira Eisenberg, who I have watched reset the room between stories with seemingly effortless class and good humor, regardless of how heartbreaking or obscene or discombobulated the story the audience just endured might have been. I remember sitting in the audience, watching Ophira, trying to absorb as much as I could from her. The combination of keen narrative sensibility and interpretive grace, that, I thought, is what makes a great host. So back in the fall of 2018, it was an incredible moment for me when Ophira took the stage to tell a story at our first ever Family Ghosts live show at the Bell House in Brooklyn. And I, as a host, got to introduce her. Please welcome to the stage, Ophira Eisenberg. Uh, I've never had anyone go woo for me hugging someone on stage, so don't tell my husband. Um, Hi. So um, my mother, 89 years old currently, she is the foundation of our family. Uh, Anyone who has ever met my mother usually describes her with these odd phrases like, they don't make them like that anymore, you know, like she's a vintage car. Or she's one tough cookie, like that's the kind of dessert anyone wants. But she is, she epitomizes strength. I mean, strength uh, and fortitude on so many levels, 89 years old, grew up in Holland during World War II, lived in Israel as it became Israel, raised six kids. This woman has seen a lot. And she has this unbelievable um, brute strength as, as well, and internal strength. I was recently with her in um, my brother's basement. He was getting renovation done. It was mostly unfinished. And all of a sudden, we heard, and we looked, and there was a dead mouse on the floor beside my mother's foot. <laughs> and she said, it was slow. It must be sick. kind of scary. Uh, And if she is the foundation of our family, the fabric of my family is a shared love of dark humor, of plants, and uh, and lies. I have come from a family of liars. It is impossible to get a story straight. Yes, you know what I'm talking about. Liars. Uh, You know, and of all sorts. For example, I I remember for a part of my life, I always heard that my Uncle Louie was blind in one eye from looking at an eclipse. That's what I was told. And then I mentioned that to my cousin. He was like, what are you talking about? No, it's because his friend was playing with a gun and shot him in the eye. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I mentioned that to my mother. She's like, what are you talking about? He was born blind. And then I mentioned that to someone else. They're like, no, 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 he looked at an eclipse. Like, why doesn't anyone have this story? But they all, they all lie. It's like of everything. It's impossible to know what's going on. And I, I excused it for years, my whole life, because I thought, these people, like, grew up, my father and my mother, they were around the war. I mean, that was probably a time of a lot of lying to protect yourself. I do not think the truth set you free. Uh, and also being immigrants. Uh, I'm sure they lied to fit in or just to control the narrative. 
because they probably didn't feel in control of anything. So, you know, we always dealt with lies, and I think we were actually also taught to lie. And then one day, my mother lied about something that was actually fairly dangerous. Actually, we found out that for two years, she was lying about uh, dying for a couple seconds. You know, just every so often, she was dying for a couple seconds. Uh, her heart was going into cardiac arrest for about two seconds, and she would black out, uh, but not tell anyone, because she didn't really like it. She didn't like that was happening to her. She didn't like that that was threatening her idea of immortality of herself. So she thought, we'll just ignore it. Because <laughs> that's how she dealt with things. And then one day, I imagine it happened in front of someone or in public in a way that she could no longer pretend that it wasn't happening. And she went to a doctor who sent her to a cardiologist. And the next thing we knew, she was given, uh, you know, just she had to get a pacemaker. They were like, her heart's stopping. She needs a lot of medication and to get on a pacemaker. All of my family freaked out because the way a lot of them express worry is through anger. They are a fun fucking bunch. <laughs> and everyone was yelling at her, how could you do this? How could you be so irresponsible? But I think she was the angriest of any of them because now we were all witnesses to the truth and she couldn't control what was going on. So pacemaker operations, even 18 years ago, amazing. Heart operations are truly amazing. Uh, and so it wasn't the operation that was a big deal. It was the fact that for eight weeks afterwards, she was supposed to do nothing that would put her heart under stress. She was supposed to have a low-key lifestyle, no driving, no housework, no gardening. So I am the youngest of six kids. There was all this talk about how we were all going to take turns taking care of her. Uh, and as the youngest, you know, I was waiting for the call of when my week was going to come. But this call never came because I'm the youngest. And then I finally found out from my brother that they were like, oh, you're not able to take care of anything because you're the youngest. <laughs> now, to be fair, being the youngest, if you are, it's fantastic. You get to be the angel. You can do no wrong if you want to go that route. You can do bad things, but hide it, and no one ever thinks that it's you because you have five other people to blame it on. Uh, but also, you get stuck in permanent babydom. You're the baby forever. It doesn't matter how many mortgages you pay or eye cream you buy. You're always the baby. Uh, and it still, it still happens. I'm treated like the baby today in my family. I went home recently, as I was saying, in my brother's basement, and my brother always does this joke with me. He's the worst. He always does this. He always goes, um, hey, Ophira, just want to remind you, uh, nobody wanted you. You were a mistake. LAUGHTER um, and then I, I mentioned that to my mom, and she was like, don't be ridiculous, you all were mistakes. So, <laughs> so they weren't calling me, and then I called my brother, and I said, I want to take care of mom. And he was like, really? I mean, we just, can you really even take care of yourself? Uh, you know, I was 30 years old at the time. I was living in Toronto, pursuing a uh, stand-up comedy career. It, I, they had a point. <laughs> um, <laughs> I didn't, you know, I, I had just enough money to fly myself to Calgary to help. Uh, and what I didn't have in money or maybe experience taking care of things, uh, I did have a flexible schedule, which not everyone did. So I all of a sudden had this agenda. I was like, no, my, I'm going to take care of mom and I'm going to prove to you people that I'm like a responsible adult that can contribute. I wanted to take care of my mother because I was scared. It was my way of having a little control in the narrative.
So uh, I flew out to Calgary. Taking care of my mother is no easy task. She sort of lives an artisan lifestyle. Uh, she would be the toast of Brooklyn. Uh, every, every, uh, everything's made from scratch, right? Every meal is made from scratch. The house is scrubbed clean every night. Uh, I'm, I, you know, and scrubbed. I once caught her recently on the floor scrubbing a dark mark. Furiously, I went down to help her and realized it was a shadow. Okay, my mother was trying to wipe out a shadow. And you know what? She got it out. Uh, there's a garden to tend, there's plants to take care of, there's laundry, you're never allowed to use the dryer, you have to put it out to hang out on the line outside because she is a homesteader living in the suburbs. Uh, technology is for people that don't understand how things are done fucking properly. That's how she sees it. So it was no easy task. I flew home, I walked in, I saw her ready for this task, and she looked smaller. She looked frail. She didn't look like this woman of fortitude I remembered. I hugged her. She said, no, not so hard, it hurts. Uh, and I just dove into the task. Time to do things. Do, do, do. I, I'm going to make you dinner. And I started making her dinner, and she sat beside me criticizing, criticizing, questioning my every move. Oh, you're going to use that pot to make cauliflower? All right. Well, I wouldn't use that one. That onion's too big. I hope you don't think that sink is clean. You're coming back to clean it more later, right? And I knew it was very frustrating. I hated it, but I knew that she was just frustrated that she couldn't do it for herself. By day two, it was wearing pretty thin on me, this whole taking care of my mother thing. And so I needed a break. And so I said, Mom, I'm, can I borrow your car and go to the gym? I, every time I travel, I pack gym clothes. Uh, and then it's awesome because at the end of the trip, I get to take them out of my suitcase, still perfectly folded, never used, and put them back in my drawer. <laughs> but this was going to be different this time. So I, I said, can I borrow your car and, and go to the gym? Borrowing the car was a big deal. She bought a car for herself to celebrate that all the kids had finally left the house. It was probably the biggest ticket item she'd ever purchased on her own since my father died. Uh, it was just like a, a secondhand Honda SUV, but she loved that car. It, it had so much value, sentimental and emotional value to her, and she gave me the keys hesitantly, said, do you still remember how to drive? I was like, yes. She was like, okay, take care of my baby. And I was like, I was the baby. <laughs> And I got in the car, SUV stuffed into the uh, one-car garage and turned the key, put it in reverse. And, you know, I, I just got in this moment of self-congratulating myself. I was like, I'm, I'm doing great. I'm here. I'm actually taking care of my mother. This is like I'm taking care of her. It's hard being an adult. It's hard watching your parents age and get sick. And I'm thinking about how wonderful I am and how proud I am of myself as I am backing up. And I hear this like crunching sound, just like a crunching sound. I was like, oh, I must have driven over a tin can, I suppose. Uh, but it keeps going crunching, crunching, crunching. And I'm snapped out of my little moment of how wonderful Ophira is to see that, oh, I haven't been watching where I'm going at all while I'm backing out this car. And I've ripped off the side mirror of the car and I'm just bashing it further and further and further into the side of the the garage and I'm not taking my foot off the gas I'm, I'm going slowly and it's just crunching more and more and more till I stop and sort of in a state of delusional shock put the car into drive to drive forward to reverse time of course and then it will be done 
course, that doesn't reverse time, and I, my heart starts racing, so I think, uh, flee. You know, that's my first thought, flee. So I just put it in reverse and just careen out of there. Now it's much easier to back out with all that garbage gone, and I drive to the gym. And as I'm driving, I'm like, oh, my God, she's not, you know, she's not supposed to be put under stress. What's going on? I've wrecked her car. And I'm like, it's fine, it's fine. I'm going to fix it. Oh, new cars, they're like plastic, right? I've, t I've been told you can just go under the undercarriage and, like, push out the dance ray with your own hands because they're just crap now. And I was like, I'll do that and I'll just glue on the side mirror and I'll buy some silver nail polish and I'll like paint it up. Uh, and I park the car at the gym and I get out and I look at the damage and you know, it's brutal. <laughs> it's like the side mirrors hang up, there's wires all over the place. It's just hanging on by one little bit of uh, metal. I have, I have scratched all the paint off to the point where you start seeing like copper and black underneath. Uh, and there's a dent so deep in that side of the door, it's like it's almost a puncture. And I'm like, holy fuck, what am I going to do? So I go into the gym and I get on the treadmill. Because uh, I'm like, I'm going to work it out while I'm running on the treadmill. And that was like the perfect metaphor. I was trying to run away from my problems and I wasn't getting anywhere. <laughs> and my next thought was, this is easy. Uh, I am going to absolve myself of any responsibility. I'm going to lie. I'm going to lie. Uh, I'm going to say it was a hit and run. I'm going to say I took the car to the gym. I went inside to work out. You know, I'll work out for a little more to get a sweat going, the whole thing, so it's believable. Uh, and then I came back to the car, and holy crap, this is what someone did. What bad luck. Oh, well. You know, I'm sorry. Uh, and I'm thinking, that's perfect. That's perfect. But something about it as I'm piecing together the story sounds so familiar to me. Uh, and that is because... <laughs> I have used it before. I have used it before with my mother the last time when I was in high school trying to get my driver's license and smashed her car. So I'm thinking of another possible lie. Okay, um, you know, maybe it's like uh, something, they're like something backed into me. Now I'm working on like a garbage truck backing in story and it just all falls apart. I think, no, I'm an adult. This is the whole point. I have to tell her the truth. I tell her the truth, she's gonna see me as a baby, as a screw up, but she won't know this is gonna be the most grown up moment that we've ever had. And I guess we'll find out if that pacemaker works. <laughs> so, <laughs> I drive home practicing this calm speech that I'm gonna tell her about how I dented her car. Uh, but I, and I parked the car in front of the house and I come in and she notices that I've parked the car in the front of the house. So the first thing she says to me is, why did you park the car in front of the house? And instead of my calm or her speech, I just start immediately crying and going, I did a bad thing, you know, just a child. And she's like, what happened? And I can see this fire in her eyes. And I explained to her that I wasn't really watching while I was backing out of the garage and I hit the side of it because it was very close. And I see the fire fade into disappointment. Uh, she's just, she cannot believe how, you know, childish I am and how I wasn't looking and I ruined her car. And she's nodding in this way like, uh-huh, yep, these kids, these kids. Uh, and she goes, well, what are you going to do about it? I'm like, okay, I'll start calling around for car dealerships. I call around for a car dealership. We, we get a quote. We drive it together <laughs> to the car dealership to get it fixed. They quote $700. Uh, my mother says, we'll split it because I don't have enough money. It takes about four days for it to get fixed, and that time we take cabs when we need to. 
and then we go to pick up the car and we're driving it back. It's fixed, it's pretty miraculous. They are just like plastic. And she goes, listen, Ophira, I know you tried your best, but let's promise something to each other. I'm like, okay. She goes, let's promise to never tell this to your older brother. <laughs> because I might forgive you, but he will never let you live this down. Which was amazing that even when I was going out to take care of her, she was still taking care of me. And the lie continues. You know, that car is long gone. Uh, her pacemaker is even long gone. It's been changed to a more updated pacemaker. Obviously, my life has expanded. Now I have a child. Uh, but the lies continue, and I think if I ask my mother tomorrow, Mom, remember that Honda SUV that I crashed up and I was so stupid? She would go, no, 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 what are you talking about? It was a hit and run. <laughs> Thank you. Now, if I may, folks, before we go, I want to say a quick word about what's making this new season and the new schedule possible. You've probably heard me make reference in previous episodes to the existence of our Family Ghosts Patreon community, the Kindred Spirits. And I want to let you know that it's because of the Kindred Spirits that we are able to move in this exciting new direction here on the show. I know you might hear me say that and think, but Sam, I hear ads on the show. Surely you are compensated well enough by those ads to finance this podcast. To you, gentle listener, I must say, alas, it is not so. I am very grateful for the sponsorships we do get. But the fact is, that revenue barely covers our operating costs. And in order to make this show as good as you expect it to be, I have to ask you to consider supporting us directly. As I hope you know, I do not make that ask lightly. I know this year has been absolute chaos, and if you need Family Ghosts to be an escape hatch from the financial realities of our plague-ridden world, I completely understand. But if you do have the means, I want to let you know that becoming a Patreon supporter doesn't just come with the perk of knowing you're supporting the creation of art that's meaningful to you. It also means you get more of that art. Kindred Spirits get bonus episodes that aren't released here in the main feed, plus ad-free versions of all of our episodes and early access to new stories. And whereas this is the first episode you're hearing in months, Kindred Spirits have been getting new stuff all this past summer and fall. And we will have some new perks to announce in the coming weeks as well. So if that sounds good to you, I hope you will consider joining the Kindred Spirits. It's just $5 a month at patreon.com slash familyghosts. And either way, thank you for being here. I will have more updates for you on the next bonus episode. Until then, stay safe and be well. I'll talk to you next week right here on Family Ghosts, where every house is haunted.